He is God the Father. He is God the Son, Jesus, the Word that was made flesh. And He is God the Holy Spirit that resides and lives and abides with us. And we saw in John chapter 16, Jesus promised us this. He said, I am leaving to go to the Father. How many of you know He held up that end? He's gone to the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus chapter 2 tells us this and uh, tells us also that we are seated with him in heavenly places. But uh, he said, it's to your advantage that I go. It's to your benefit. Now, he's talking to people that have walked and traveled with him for the last three and a half years. They've seen him do these marvelous miracles. They've seen these signs and wonders firsthand. You think you would like to have Jesus walk with you. These people knew what it was. What an awesome experience it was to spend time living and dwelling and eating and, 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 and traveling with Jesus throughout his ministry, throughout the work of his time. But he was constantly talking about the end. He was constantly leading up to there's a time when I will be separated. And he makes a statement to his disciples. He says, it's to your advantage, it's to your benefit that I leave. Because if I don't, I can't send you the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. And he promised that the Holy Spirit wasn't just going to come and hang out and be there when we need him. He promised us that the Holy Spirit would abide with us forever. That word abide doesn't just mean call you every now and then, touch base with you when things are going uh, wrong. But abide means fellowship and partnership. Fellowship and partnership. He is partnered with us. He's been assigned to us, alongside us. Uh, uh, Jesus calls him the helper. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive, but we can because he lives and he abides within us. And so we saw that, you know, at salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone receives the Holy Spirit. He dwells within them and he helps you live out the character of the kingdom of God. See, we're, we're, we're changing kingdoms. Col- Colossians chapter 1 tells us that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been transferred out of a kingdom. Well, how many of you know when you come from one kingdom to another, you've got to learn how to live in that kingdom. You go try to live in another country overseas and see if there's not a learning curve. You might have to learn to drive on a different side of the road. You might have to learn how to reorder your food. You might have to learn a different language, a different culture. There's different things that are involved there. And so we came out of a kingdom of darkness that is contrary to the kingdom of light. We need someone to help us learn how to act. We don't respond in hate anymore. We, we have love. We don't have to respond in fear and anxiety. We have peace now. We don't have to be out of control and just doing whatever the devil tells us to or whatever we feel like doing. We have self-control now. We don't have to be impatient. We have patience. We don't have to be unfaithful. We have faithfulness. We don't have to be bad because we have goodness and gentleness. Amen. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you, and you can't produce fruit if something isn't first planted. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, now I can produce a fruit based upon a new spirit that lives inside of me. But we know that Jesus pointed even further. In Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 8, he told his disciples, now I'm going to be ascended into heaven, but I want you to go into Jerusalem. And he didn't tell them to just get to it, just start inviting people to church and start witnessing and start telling people all about it. No, he said to go wait. 
He said to go wait. Go wait for what? Wait for the promise. Because John surely baptized you with water, but there's about to be a baptism in fire in the Holy Spirit. You go wait for the Holy Spirit. And you find out throughout the word of God that people were very reliant and very dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the disciples wouldn't do anything, wouldn't even make a decision without first getting with the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was times where they, they, they felt compelled to go travel somewhere and they'd get together and say, you know, we wanted to come here, but we didn't feel permitted to by the Holy Spirit. And there were other times when they were making uh, decisions for leadership. Who are we going to put in leadership? And they'd say, well, it seemed right between us and the Holy Spirit. Not just right in, in Billy Bob or right with the president and the vice president or, you know, the board got together. and it seemed, But no, we got with the Holy Spirit and made the decision because it seemed right with him. It's his church. We're his temple. So he ought to be able to have a say-so in those decisions. We became very dependent. Even Jesus himself didn't do one miracle, didn't do one sign, didn't do one thing without first receiving the Holy Spirit. He, he's baptized in water by uh, John the Baptist. He comes up. The Holy Spirit comes and ascends upon him like a dove. Amen. And now the first thing he does is he goes and turns some water into wine. Didn't do one miracle. Didn't do one sign. You know, I always used to ask the question, I wonder if Jesus, you know, when he was growing up in elementary school, you know, in high school, he, you know, he sees people in his school that are sick or, uh, you know, maybe somebody's got a cold. And so he walks over and says, hey, I'm Jesus and I can heal you. But he didn't really ever do that because he didn't do any miracles until the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. At the point of salvation, but then there's a coming upon that we receive power and boldness. And so we've been looking at this last part for several weeks now, uh, because first I wanted to introduce you to the person of the Holy Spirit, because you don't ever want to learn about somebody's power without first getting to know who they are, right? Nobody ever likes just being used because of what you can do, but nobody ever wants to get to know you. Amen. And the Holy Spirit doesn't like it either. He wants you to get to know him and fellowship with him and dwell with him Monday through Friday before we start doing all kinds of signs and wonders and talking in different languages and prophesying and doing all these different things. So we introduce you to the person. And so hopefully today I can wrap this up. I'm going to do my best to. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about tongues. We've been talking about speaking in other tongues and the purpose for it, the benefits of it. Last week we went, probably had about seven or eight benefits of speaking in tongues, why it's important for the believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And um, today I want to move over into the public side. And I'm just going to spend one service here talking on the public side of the gifts of the Spirit. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know I'm not really going to get into the nine gifts. Okay, that's a, that's a different teaching. And we could really draw this out and go, you know, down the nine gifts, but that's a separate series. Um, and speaking of that, I want you to know we've had several people ask. We will be making this an actual series that you can purchase if you want to get the whole thing all the way through. I'm going to make that available. If you come across somebody, uh, you know, that has questions about the Holy Spirit and the manifestations of the Spirit and the operation of the Holy Spirit, you can pick one of these up. If you have more questions, these would be good for you to continue to hear. Uh, obviously, these messages are online. You can go on and, and grab them at any time. Uh, but I want to make that available. Um, I've had 
one person specifically asked me, and they said, I'm going to be purchasing at least two copies. I know two people that need this, and it's necessary. Amen? We don't need to be talking less about the Holy Spirit. We need to be talking more, but we need to bring correction to it. I, I, I know how we operate, especially as an American nation, Americanized individuals. When something breaks, we abandon it. Now, how many of you know God doesn't break or God doesn't abandon things that are broken? I mean, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, Adam and Eve, it didn't take them very long. It took them two and a half chapters to break what God had created. Messed it all up. And, you know, we really could have ended the book. If it, if it was any of us, it, the Bible would be three chapters long. And it would say, and we accursed them to hell, and we just went on and did our own thing. We found another way to do it. <laughs> that would be us, right? But God, as he's finding out what Adam and Eve did, he goes ahead and tells the snake, I've already got a plan in place to fix what they've broken. Amen. God doesn't abandon things when they break. See, you know, when, when our marriages fall apart, we abandon it. When our job doesn't work anymore, we abandon it and find another one. When our, when our car doesn't work, we want to sell it and get another one. But God is a fixer. God loves to mend and heal and restore things. And so we don't need to abandon the work of the Holy Spirit because some people have broken it. And I told you a couple weeks ago, I said, I would rather be in a service where God moved and maybe a few individuals got a little over-spiritual, got out of whack, than be in a service where man was in full control, but God had nothing to do with it. And everybody was comfortable, and everybody was fine, and nobody was out of line, and, and, and everybody went home feeling all good, but there was no God in it. Okay? But we don't need to redefine a move of the Holy Spirit as, you know, people running around the room knocking chairs over and bumping people over, and everybody's slain in the Spirit, and... Uh, you know, the, the service went five hours. We can have a move of the Spirit in just the teaching of the Word. The Holy Spirit and the Word are inseparable. If I teach the Word, it's the Holy Spirit is the one that's impressing it upon your heart. He's the one illuminating it. I, it doesn't matter how many degrees I have. It doesn't matter how long I went to school. I can't make this clear to you. Only the Holy Spirit can. He's the one that makes it clear to you. So we'll have a move of the Spirit here while we teach. Amen. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to pull out a few verses and then we're going to get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, brethren, believers, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorant, that means you don't know. I don't want you to be, so the flip side of that, I want you to know about spiritual gifts. I want you to have an understanding about spiritual gifts. I want you to know how they operate. I want you to know how they function. Uh, look down at uh, uh, verse, well, let's do this. Skip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to go over two chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. And Paul says this, pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why does he say pursue love? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's starting to get into the gifts. And that's where the nine gifts are listed. And then he goes into the body. He talks about how we are many members, but one body 
individually. Even though we're individually many members, we all make up one body of Christ. And so we need every role, we need every purpose, we need every assignment in the body. And then he gets into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and some people think that he's changing directions, but he's really not. He starts talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. And he defines love. Because here's the thing. Spiritual gifts don't operate without the love of God. If you don't have love, you're not operating in spiritual gifts. And so then he continues right on. Because see, we are the ones that put all these numbers in here so we could find things. So we don't have to say, turn to page uh, 986 and go about halfway down. It's about three paragraphs. Uh, and then like the fourth sentence in there. We don't have to do that. We can just say, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 9. So when they wrote this, they, they didn't have all these numbers and separate it all out. So he's going right into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And he's identifying here, neither of these come automatically. Love and spiritual gifts don't just come automatically. What? You have to go after it. There's got to be a desire. There's got to be a hunger. You've got to pursue love. You don't just automatically want to love people. You don't automatically want to love people that don't love you. Even though we, see, you know, Jesus covered all the bases. He covered all the bases. He, he set a new standard for love because we know the old command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Those were over in the Old Testament. But then Jesus shows up and he just shakes it all up. And he says, I want you to love others as I have loved you. Now, up until Jesus, nobody had defined that. It was impossible. And there's nobody that will ever be able to redefine that type of love. Love, love someone else. Love your neighbor as yourself. But love others as I have loved you. He set the standard. And then he says, love your enemies. I mean, you know, we, we thought we were doing all right, but at least these guys I don't have to. And then he, then he throws it in there and love your enemies. Oh, great. I mean, that, that's, there's nobody on the planet that you are allowed to not walk in love with. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. There's got to be a desire. There's got to be a hunger there. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Skip on down. Verse 20. Skip on down to verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So we see here three references that Paul is alluding to here that it is important for us to know, not to be ignorant, to understand, and to desire spiritual gifts. Right here. These aren't just verses that are in here for a certain group of people. These aren't verses that are in here, uh, you know, in case you, it comes across to you. Uh, he's saying here that we should all have a desire for spiritual gifts. We should pursue spiritual gifts. We should hunger for spiritual gifts. That we don't need to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, but we need to have understanding. And in our understanding, be mature. That means perfect, be whole. Have a complete understanding of the spiritual gifts. And so as we begin to venture over now into the public side of the gifts, you know, it, it's always weird 
Um, it's always weird when you be when you do things publicly that you think should be done privately. Just anything. You know, there there are some people, uh, you know, there are some couples that they have no problem being close with each other publicly. Public displays of affection, PDA. But there might be some other people that, uh, you know, you know, I'm, you know, privately, they're fine, obviously. But, you know, in public, and it may make them uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean I disagree with you or think that you're wrong. Just because you're doing something publicly that maybe I don't feel so comfortable doing publicly. But then there's some things that you just don't do publicly. You just don't go to the restroom publicly. Not in America. Now, I know in other countries, they don't have a problem with that. Literally, they don't. You go over to India, and you can drive down the side of the road, and that's actually what they do. But over here, we have a problem with that, don't we? Yeah, we don't do that. We do that privately. There are some things that you just don't do publicly. But in anything, there can tend to be some weirdness when we do things publicly that we were only used to doing privately. Okay? Now, for me, you, again, you know my background. I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up, you know, around, uh, you, you know, we, we had no limits, man. We, in our church services, there were no limits. It didn't care who was around. didn't care who was in the room. I, I, I remember the day where, uh, uh, when, uh, you know, as a young child sitting on the pew, uh, you know, you'd have one of the grandmas in the church, one of the other, and they'll just come and they'll just grab you by the hand and take you right down to the altar. They'll just grab you by the hand and, and you'd start running around, running laps around the building. No problem. It didn't matter where you were. It didn't matter what was going on. They were known as the grandma. I mean, you go down. I remember going down to the altar as a teenager. Go down to the altar and you get on, you, 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 you go down to the steps of the altar and you're, you're there praying. And it didn't take 10 seconds before you had five people bombard you just going crazy behind you. They don't know what you went down for. They don't know what you're praying about. They don't know what's going on. And they, you got hands on your head, and they won't let you up until they think you're done. <laughs> you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I got this thing clear. But they ain't coming up, man. They're not coming up until they feel the fire come off of the backside of your, your head. No limits, man. Prayer warriors, man. Boy, they get there 30 minutes early and they'd just be walking around the church praying and everyone else just hanging out. And they're there just walking back and forth just praying. They'd stay an hour late, uh, laid out on the floor just hanging out. Whatever. We're all going to eat. Hey, see you at the buffet when you get there. They're just hanging out. Got the clock, you know, uh, covering them up so nothing shows. Yeah, we had those. You never know what's going to happen. We don't need to see your stomach and your backside and all that fun stuff. So we, we had it all covered. Had it all covered. That's the church I grew up in. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all like, give me the name and address and phone number so I know not to ever go to that church. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about the public side. We're going to talk about the public side. Now, number one thing I want you to know is anything done publicly does not have to affect your walk with the Lord. just want to go ahead and make that clear. 
that's not going to be your crutch. That's not going to be your justification from falling away from the faith or uh, walking away from something that the word clearly defines as accurate because you see somebody do something inaccurately. Okay? It's not, we, we, we can't allow that to be our scapegoat every time. Well, I don't, because of what I saw in the past. You know, we've all seen crazy stuff. And if you haven't, when you do see some stuff, <laughs> can't allow it to slow you down, man. You can't, I, I was reading an article just this past week of, of uh, five excuses that people have that the church has made them do when really the church hasn't. There's different things like, you know, the church has burned me out. Well, no, the church didn't burn you out. You, you chose to get burned out. Uh, the, the church caused me to walk away from my faith. Well, no, you choose to believe or not believe. We, at some point, we've got to take responsibility for this stuff and say, I'm going to walk with God regardless of what anybody else does. And I've been in services where people have done things, and I know that's, that's inaccurate. But bottom line is, I'm there for me and God. Okay? And you just got to... To, to come to grips with that in, in and of yourself. Regardless of what anybody else does, I'm going to get something from God today. Regardless of what they say, regardless uh, of, of what is going on there. But I'll tell you what, it, it is awesome to know that you're in a church that is safe and the pastor is going to guard you. And not just allow craziness to take place. Okay? You need a pastor that's going to watch over the flock and be a shepherd of the flock and know when someone's trying to come in and, and in attack mode or in a way that could cause some of the flock to wander away. You want a pastor that's going to guard that and safe, safe keep you. And you know, and if you don't know, you have a pastor that is doing that. Okay? For those of you that are spirit-filled and for those of you that maybe in the last three and a half years of starting this church, maybe we haven't seen as many demonstrations or manifestations as a church like this you might expect. That's because I'm guarding. I'm guarding a lot of people that are learning and coming up into this for the first time. So there's just some things that we do differently. And any of these things you can operate in, in your, on your own. If you just want to have a good old Holy Ghost shouting meeting, just go put on some old, good old gospel music and go to town in your house and just start jumping and shouting and, 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 and doing whatever you got to do. You just got to have your fix. Okay? But we're growing and learning in some things, and so that is what we're doing. And I've taught on this before, and we're teaching on it again, and we'll probably teach on it again. Because it's that important. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He wants us to know some things. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. He's just gone through. There's the diversities of gifts, but they are the same spirit. And in verse 11 he says, But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You can't just come to church and say, I've got a prophecy gift today. You can't just come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I'm feeling like I've got a working of miracles on me today. 
I feel like I got the gift of faith today. Doesn't work that way. It's distributed as the Holy Spirit will. But notice it's the same spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that operates in you on your private side is the same Holy Spirit that operates on the public side. And that Holy Spirit isn't trying to embarrass anybody. The Holy Spirit isn't trying to make a mockery or a scene of anybody. The Holy Spirit isn't trying to rebuke anybody. We've seen several times that the Holy Spirit is there to edify the church, strengthen the body. Now, we've already seen that tongues, speaking in tongues, is edifying yourself. Praying in an unknown language strengthens myself. In my times of weakness, the times where I'm feeling down, I can just get alone, I can pray in the Spirit, and I can be strengthened in the inner man, the Bible tells me. The inner man. There is an inner man. There's a spirit man living inside of you. You're not everything on the outside. God relates to your spirit first, and then what happens to the spirit changes the outside. Because when you are uh, made a new creation in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away, all things have become new on the inside. And the change on the inside is working on the outside. Okay? So we know that there's an inner man. And so I want to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're pretty much just going to go through this chapter, because this chapter specifically is given to us for correction and understanding and maintaining integrity. Maintaining integrity. That's why this chapter is here. In fact, for those of you that were here all the way at the beginning, let's just go down to verse uh, 20. Uh, where was it? Verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. It says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. This was the very first verse that we read. If you remember, going all the way back, this is the very first verse I covered. And then we went back to chapter 5 and chapter 6. And we chapter 7, and we saw how broken this church really was. I mean, this looks like a spiritual church. Everybody's got a tongue. Everybody's got a teaching. Everybody's got a gift. Everybody's got a revelation. Everybody's prophesying. I mean, what a spiritual church. And then we find out that they've got individuals that are sleeping with their own family members. We find out they're taking each other to court. We find out that they're suing each other. We find out that there's backbiting and gossiping going on. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I mean, Paul had to tell him in chapter 3, I thought I was coming back to some mature believers, but apparently you still need uh, the milk of the word. You're still a bunch of babies. You're immature. We haven't begun exercising the spiritual, and but yet they're doing all these things. So we started understanding that We're bringing the integrity. Again, when you're maintaining integrity, you're keeping the purpose of it. See, where where we get off is when we lose the purpose for something. If we don't understand the purpose for something, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. You've heard me say that multiple times. You know, in 
part to you, if you don't know your purpose, it will abuse your own life. But if we don't know the purpose for the Holy Spirit, the purpose for spiritual gifts, the purpose for the operation of the Holy Spirit, then we'll abuse those operations. We'll abuse those gifts. And we've seen some of that. So we want to maintain the integrity. And so let's go back to verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. When you're speaking in tongues, you're not talking to men. You're talking to God. Tongues operates two ways. It operates from me to God, or it operates from God through me to you. Those are the two ways it operates. And since we haven't understood the proper operation, we've said that something shouldn't happen in church when that wasn't the intended purpose from the beginning. So we've got to understand the purpose. He says, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So right there, we have three things to judge a prophecy by. Was it edifying? Was it exhorting the body? And was it, did it bring comfort? If it tore you down rather than built you up, if it discouraged you rather than encouraged you, and if it kind of got you all weird, probably wasn't a prophecy from God. Because the prophecy from God will strengthen you, encourage you, and comfort you. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. We saw that last week. You're building yourself up. But he who prophesies edifies the church. He who is communicating. Now, a prophecy, again, prophecy operates the same way as a tongue and interpretation. A prophecy comes from God through man to the body. That's prophecy. Tongues directed towards man comes from God through man, but it requires a second part. Last week I explained it like this. You can have a dime or you can have two nickels. They both spend the same. I can have a dime, which is prophecy, or I can have two nickels, which is tongues and interpretation. Same thing. Okay? Just giving some training here. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more, that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless... Indeed, he interprets that the church may receive edification. So when we're talking about the public side of tongues in church services, it's very simple to explain. There's, there's no craziness about it. We don't have to try to dissect this thing. It's very simple. You have to understand which direction the tongues is going. Period. You know, lately, I, I haven't... You know, I, I really didn't hear a lot about this, even when I was growing up, uh, you know, with, with people having a discomfort or uh, uh, people having an issue with the church praying in tongues, you know, as a unified group. Or even individuals in the church praying in tongues as they're praying to God and edifying themselves in a church group. 
But just in the last several years, I've, I've kind of heard that, you know, there's this idea that that's not allowed. There's this idea that when we're in a corporate setting, nobody should be praying in tongues at all. Well, that's just not a true statement. It's just not a true statement. Um, you don't have a problem with anybody else praying to God in English around you. We wouldn't have, shouldn't have any issue with someone praying to God in tongues. Again, they're not talking to you. <laughs> That's very simply put. The, the, the greatest analogy I can give you is when I went to Nicaragua. I'm surrounded by a bunch of Spanish people, and they're all speaking Spanish. And I'm teaching a class, and I require an interpreter. Okay? And I remember after, after the class that I just taught, we're all just hanging out talking. I'm standing there by myself. Nobody wants to come talk to me. <laughs> Partly because my, my interpreter abandoned me. Without the interpreter, I'm, forget it. Casa, I, you know, I, I lose you, man. Lose you. Yeah, I'm just saying see a lot. See? See? Say see, and I don't even understand. I'm saying yes to something. I don't even know what I'm agreeing to <laughs> right now. But, you know, there's Spanish guys standing all around me. And I'm not getting all... I can't believe these guys would do this. I cannot believe that they would talk in another language while I'm here. How offensive. I cannot believe... I'm just... It just feels so weird. I mean, I'm the only one that doesn't know their language. But then one of the guys came up and tried to talk to me. Now I got a problem. You're talking to me. You're not talking around me. You're not just talking about me. You're talking to me. This conversation is directed to me, which requires a response from me, and I don't know what you're saying. My understanding is unknown. It's a mystery, as Paul says. So what am I looking for? Uh, Armando, Armando, where are you at? Come here. I, I need some help over here. Armando is our interpreter. I'm trying to run him down. I need an interpreter. I need someone to help communicate to me what this person's saying. It's not fruitful to me. I could just keep saying, see, see, see. But I, I, I would be doing a lot better if I had an interpreter. Amen. And so that's the only, that's, that's the only difference. You've got to be able to identify. Uh, I, I remember being in a service one time, and, and the pastor that was leading the service began praying in tongues in the microphone. And there was an individual that had a problem with that because he said, well, I could hear, I could hear her speaking in tongues. And so, you know, I, 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 at that point, I need to know. I said, no. You hear me pray in a microphone all the time in English. And, 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 and sure, if you want to agree with me, that's one thing. But, you know, honestly, what you could be doing to help alleviate all this is pray. <laughs> They're praying. You pray. They're praying in tongues. If you don't know how to pray in tongues, then pray in English. Praying in English is not ineffective. You're not any less of a person. Obviously, we've seen the benefits of praying in tongues, and that's for every believer. God isn't just handing out special benefits to certain individuals and not to others. We've already seen that. If he was going to withhold it from anybody, he wouldn't have given it to the Gentiles in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's for everybody. But now, when it becomes quiet, 
where the attention and the focus is on the individual that's praying in tongues. Now we need an interpretation. Why? Everybody's listening. And it's given in a moment that's being directed towards the church. So if the church is going to be fruitful in that, they've got to have some understanding. Now I need an interpreter. I remember um, when I was at Bible school at Rama in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, that's a very large church, 4,500-seat auditorium. And, um, you know, again, just going back to the purpose of tongues and interpretation and prophecy, any time that it moved that way in a service, and it was very rare, but any time we had that type of service, uh, it always seemed to come from the pastoral side. There's always somebody on the pastoral staff that was already on stage that could move to a microphone and give a, give a tongue and interpretation. Uh, but, you know, in the churches I grew up, they were small enough, some like this, some maybe a little bit bigger, where you could have individuals across the auditorium giving a tongue. So right, right from their seat. And everybody could hear. I remember sometime, uh, someone asked me, they said, you know, how come you don't see that happen, you know, at, at a church like Ramah? Or just people in, in, in the auditorium. Why does it always come from the pastoral staff? I said, if somebody up in the balcony on the far left side was given a tongue, and we got someone on the bottom, on the far right side, who can't hear them, how are we being edified? What's the purpose? Edification. If it doesn't edify everybody, then we're getting out of alignment. Either that individual strongly feels that he's receiving a tongue for the body and he needs to approach somebody and say, I have a tongue. I need to be in a position where I can communicate this as a whole or not at all. Okay? Why? We're keeping it in alignment with the word of God. Edification is the purpose. And so he says here that obviously prophesying is greater. One individual just giving a clear prophecy in English or in your known language, is more fruitful than just a tongue being given. But if a tongue is given, we need an interpretation. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Tongues and interpretation and prophesying are not given to puff you up, not given to make you look big and bad. Not, 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 not given so you can look more spiritual than somebody else. The purpose and the motivation from the inside needs to be, this is for the church. 
And that is what will encourage you to go through with it and discourage you from not going through from, with something that you don't feel is from the Holy Spirit. But I tell you what, I, I know in my own life and I've, I know for many other individuals, they've needed encouragement to give a tongue and interpretation or to give a prophecy. That they have multiple conversations within themselves of, no, God, I'm not doing that. No, that's for somebody else. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting up in front of the church and saying that. It al- he always picks the shy people sometimes. He always, you know, tends to pick the people that are like, God, I'm, I've never held a microphone in my life. I've never talked to any, into anything except a phone. I'm not doing that. Right? He picked Gideon. He picked Gideon to be bold and go out in front, right? God is still picking people. He wants to pick people that he knows have the right heart. It's about the heart. And he says here, what do you seek to excel? Yourself or the church? Yourself or the church? We've got to be people, individuals, that for the church, for the body of Christ, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to step out because I care about the church. Therefore, Verse 13, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, again, again, he's talking about the public side here. That whole spill that he just gave about the instruments and you got to know the differences and all that. He's talking about the public side, not talking about a private side, not talking about you on your own. And he's not talking about because you can use tongues in a private manner in a public setting. Yes, you can do that. I just want to make that clear, that there's an understanding there. You can use the private side of tongues in a public setting that's not directed towards somebody. It's you speaking to God. But therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. And I would tell you right now that this portion can be used for your private side as well. When you're praying in tongues, ask God to give you revelation. Ask God to show you what you're praying about. What what am I believing for? So that your understanding can be fruitful. We already saw last week that even in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's your weakness? What you don't know. He'll come alongside you and pray prayers through you in tongues that you didn't even know you needed to pray for. Do I have any witnesses to that? That you've prayed in tongues and you know I prayed for something and I don't even know what it was, but something was loosed in the spirit realm. Amen. But he says here, you can pray for the understanding. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. His conclusion is, Do both. His conclusion is not abandon one or the other. His conclusion is not just be a church that just talks in tongues all the time. And we don't ever get interpretation. We don't ever get any understanding. We're never fruitful. But the conclusion is that I'm not just going to use my English prayer language or my known prayer language. There's times that I need to get over in the spirit and pray things out in the spirit. Amen. Hence his conclusion. Do both. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, 
but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul speaking to a group that is practicing this stuff. This isn't uncommon stuff. He's trying to actually get them, you find out later in the chapter, he's trying to get them to pull back a little bit. He's correcting the operation of tongues and the speaking in tongues and the different things that are taking place in the services. He's bringing correction to it. And he says, do you think you guys are bad? I pray in tongues more than all of you, and I thank God that I do. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's he talking about? Balance. Balance. There should never be a service. There should never be a service where all we've done is come together and just talked in tongues, spoken tongues the whole time. Shouldn't be a service. And, and, and he goes on down and he starts giving some ideas of how to make this work. But it sh- we shouldn't just have a service where we just have, you know, 20 people just all come forward and give a tongue. We have no interpretation. We have no understanding. We have no fruitfulness in our language. What's he saying? I would rather say five words in, in a known language. Something that can strengthen you and edify you, then speak a thousand words, ten thousand words in a language you don't know. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written with men of other lips, uh, of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. See, even a move of the Holy Spirit does not promise that the people will get it. He says right there. He says, don't, don't think that just because we get a manifestation and a move of the Holy Spirit and a tongue and interpretation or somebody prophesies that the church is going to respond properly. He says, I've been doing this for years. I've been using prophets. I've been, and they killed them. I've been sending people to this earth to declare things that I want for my people, and they haven't heard a thing. That's why Jesus was constantly saying, if you got an ear to hear, then hear. If you got eyes to see, let them see. Why? Because this is more than just about an individual. This is God moving through an individual. The individual is simply the vessel that God wants to use in place. Don't get all worked up about who gave a tongue and who didn't give a tongue. I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I don't believe that husbands and wives should give tongues and, and give interpretation. What? He said, yeah, you know, because they're a husband and wife team. They, they could have gotten together on the way to church and said, you say this and you say this. Oh, give me a break. Come on now. See, we're not, now, now we're not even going by the Bible anymore, guys. That's just personal. That's just a personal thing that you got. I, I, I know people that have gotten bent out of shape because so-and-so gave an interpretation, and they know something about that person. If God isn't, if, if God all of a sudden started using perfect vessels, we all might as well quit. Shut the thing down and go home. Lock the door. Come on. It's not about the vessel, guy. It's about the word from God. Get your eye off the natural. Get your eye off the person. Get your eye off of the individual. 
I mean, we just had Pastor Daryl and Bonnie. Those two are, are, are two of the most phenomenal people that I've seen in operation. I mean, they will almost get it, the timing down. It's unbelievable. He'll give a tongue, and she'll. And, and there was one time he gave a tongue, uh, and, and 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 then he laughed in the middle of it because it was rejoicing that that, that got something rejoicing that God was bringing. And then she laughed almost at the same time when she was given the interpretation. That's just tandem. That's just God working together. It's more than just natural people, guys. There's spirit beings inside there that God's using. Don't focus on the outside show. Don't focus on how it came out and who said what and how long. I've heard interpretations that took uh, 10 seconds, uh, a tongue took 10 seconds, and then the interpretation took five minutes. We just get bent up on all the little details. And most likely... You missed the word that God was saying. Because God had a word for you that day. God had something that he wanted to edify you. He wanted to strengthen you with. But now Paul begins to move into things that we can use to judge what we hear. Verse 22, therefore, tongues are for a sign. Look at this. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. I've had people tell me, you know, that, you know, our, our, our Sunday services, uh, you know, and, and this is just really within the last five to seven years. When I grew up, there was no such thing as a church service that was geared towards guests. Church was not cool when I grew up. We had the ugliest carpet. We had the most uncomfortable pews. You didn't have words on a screen. The lights were lit during worship. There was no cool lighting shows and uh, videos. We didn't have all that stuff. You came to church and you worshiped God and you loved God and you knew you were among a group of believers. Now, I know today that we want to gear this because we want to see the lost come into church. Absolutely. We want to see unbelievers come into this church and be comfortable and be excited. We want to welcome. That's why we have hospitality teams. And that's why we take so much time with our greeters and with our ushers and our children's workers. Because I'll tell you what, some of the things that they lacked when I was growing up was having enough children's workers. You had uh, teachers back there that were spanking your kids, and they had no limits back there either. Uh, we, had, we didn't have anybody at the door. We had bulletins that were ugly, and they had roses all over them. You could take it to the buffet and get 10% off, but that was about all it was worth. Anybody been to that church? I feel like I'm the only one that's been to those churches. My, my parents listen to these things. They're probably thinking, yeah, that's the church we took you to. Absolutely. But, man, we love God. And, yes, there's things that we can adjust as we are, are moving into a new generation. Today, church is cooler than ever, and I love it, man. We didn't have orange walls in my church growing up. I love it, man. I love the colors. I love the furniture we have. I love the things that we've done in here. I love all of it, but we are not going to do it at the expense of the Holy Spirit, period. But he says right here, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. The prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind. Now, I, I, I've had a lot of people use this and say, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't allow uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation because uh, we may have unbelievers in the room. Well, Paul tells us what their response will be. They may say that you're out of your mind. 
But they thought Jesus was out of his mind. They thought the disciples were way out of their minds. They thought they had killed Jesus. I mean, he's telling us the response. They're going to think you're out of your mind. So that's why we keep it balanced. That doesn't mean we reduce. That doesn't mean we take away things when the Holy Spirit wants to move. Tongues are a sign to the unbeliever. It shows them that there is something greater than the natural world they're living in day in and day out. It's just as much a sign as us preaching the cross. It's just as much a sign as us preaching salvation. It's just as much a sign as preaching healing and restoration. Unbelievers are coming here looking for something that's different than what they're living in. And while we giving them something that looks the same, are we giving them something that adapts to the world they live in? Or are we giving something that says, look, we're going to love you because God loves you. Jesus died for you, whether you know that or not. And I've given my life and my call to preach the gospel to you. But this world and this life is way more than what we're stuck in. I'm going to tell you right now, my God is greater than the problem you're in. Greater than the sin that's binding you up. Tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. And if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all. He's convicted by all. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is. See, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of sin. Not me. I can't preach hell hot enough, and I can't preach heaven awesome enough, and I can't preach the cross great enough to convict someone of their sin. But the Holy Spirit can. I mean, I'm only up here today by operation of the Holy Spirit. The second the Holy Spirit says, you're done, we're moving on to something different, I'm changing. I don't want to do this one day outside of the Holy Spirit. I don't want this church one service, not one Sunday, not one Wednesday, not one men's conference, not one uh, marriage conference, not one financial seminar. I don't want anything we do done outside of the operation of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we have to have crazy services every time. That means we allow him to say what he wants to say and do what he wants to do. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Who? The unbeliever. The uninformed person. He will fall down on his face and worship God and know that God was in this place as a result of the Holy Spirit operating. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all, be, let all things be done for edification. He gives some direction. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. And we've done this. You've seen this in operation. It'll, it'll move to a moment, and, and, and usually it gets quiet. Usually it's just a moment of stillness and people just being sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside, and they begin to get that on the inside. The Holy Spirit wants to say something, and so they'll, they'll give a tongue. 
And never once have I been in a service. Thank God I've had great pastors. Never once have I been in a service where they all, uh, where the pastor said, all right, that was a great turn, everybody. Let's move on to the next thing. No, we're waiting. We're waiting for an interpretation. The only way that's going to be fruitful for everybody else in the body is if somebody interprets it. And so we wait. It may be another individual. It may be the pastor. It may be the individual himself. Get the interpretation of what he just gave a tongue for. But now Paul is saying here that we're not going to make a service out of it. Two at the most three and each in turn. We're not going to have three people uh, just randomly praying in tongues out loud where, you know, so loud where it's getting the attention and direction of everybody. No, we do it in turns. And I've been in those services where we got one tongue interpretation and we praise God and we thank him for it. Why? Because we just got edified. We just got strengthened. And we thank God. And then in the midst of that, someone else gets prayed. And then we get another interpretation. But there's direction to it. There's an operation to it. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself. And to God, I know there were times, there's been some times uh, in, in some of those services where someone gave a tongue and it was apparent that it was probably more for them than it was for the body. The interpretation wasn't necessarily something that edified the whole church. And so we just give correction. Just give correction there. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means it's got to go by what the word says. The Holy Spirit's never going to speak out of line of what his word says. If it disagrees with the word, we automatically know that wasn't from God. Look at verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion, guys. It would be just like the devil to want to bring confusion to, the, to this chapter. It would be just like the devil to want to come in here and bring confusion and bring misunderstanding and misinterpretation and deceive people because he knows the power of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. He knows the power. If we don't know, he sure does. If we don't understand the importance and the role of the Holy Spirit in our services, the devil does. And if he can bring confusion to it, He'll get us to misuse it, or even worse, abandon the practice of the Holy Spirit in our services. Amen. And so we've got to see here that we don't need to be ignorant. We need to be hungry, and we need to desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. Have a hunger for them, a desire to see them in operation, a desire to see people set free, a desire to hear from God. And when we do it right, people are edified, people are strengthened, people are encouraged. 
It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's not uncomfortable. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And so with that, there just needs to be an understanding that the Holy Spirit has to have his way in our service. The Holy Spirit has to have his way. Now, there will be times, you know, I, I, I know that there's, you know, services. I remember growing up, and in fact, my wife and I, we just traveled out to Oklahoma and just went to services that are known as believers meetings. Now, for me, they're always believers meetings. This is a believers meeting to me. But they're, they're speaking in reference to where the church itself comes together. And, and uh, uh, I, I know that even some churches, they have special services where they're geared towards the body of Christ. The messages go a little deeper. You know, on our Wednesday nights, I, I go deeper. Now, I, I say that, you know, this series has, I flipped it. Because we get more people on a Sunday than we do on a Wednesday. So I, I gave you basically a Wednesday message. A Wednesday series on a Sunday. So next week I'll get more, get back to more of the exciting preachy stuff and I'll have my four points and I'll have all the stuff up on the screen for you and we'll have all that fun, exciting stuff. Amen. But this is important to go line upon line. I told you, you know, when you're maintaining integrity, you have to do it carefully. You know, I use the example of, you know, when archaeologists, they go to dig up fossils. What are they wanting to do? They're wanting to maintain the integrity of the bones that they find. So they don't just go in there with a bulldozer and just start cranking stuff out of the dirt and dump it over here and, all right, go figure out what that is. No, they're down there with fine instruments and brushes, cleaning things off. And so we went line upon line, line upon line. As your pastor, I want you to know my door's open. I'm a phone call away. You got questions? There's things you don't understand? Don't just leave. Ask. Ask. God wants us to know. And I'm a teachable pastor. If there's anything in here that I that I don't understand or don't know clearly or fully, I want to know it. My only heart is to know Him. Know Him in His Word. Know Him in the power of His resurrection, just like Paul said. That's my only heart. Usually when I get approached, you know, sometimes I get approached by people that they just want me to see it their way. So all I ask is that when we have the conversation, you have the same heart. Pastor Mark, I, I just want to see this the way the Word says. If I'm seeing this incorrectly, let me know. If, I, if I'm not seeing something clearly, uh, show it to me. That's all it is. But the Holy Spirit needs to be understood. Because if we don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit, we won't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not just about what he does, it's about who he is. And I hope out of all this, out of all this, that we have gotten the importance and the, the desire of knowing the Holy Spirit as a person, as an individual. I hope in the last two and a half months that we've been talking about this, that your walk with the Holy Spirit has grown. We're talking about our walk with the Lord. If you want to walk deeper with God, you got to know his spirit. He's the one that's living inside of you, abiding with you, making fellowship and partnership with you. And I hope out of all that we've discussed, all that we've communicated, we've grown in that area. Amen.
Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you have communicated to us clearly with understanding. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You have opened up and illuminated the scripture to us. Father, we don't want to be ignorant. We want to have understanding. We want to know and we want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, privately and publicly. Father, I thank you that you are raising up a church in the last days that will not abandon a move of your spirit, but will grab a hold of it. Welcome the Holy Spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit. We sing the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place with your atmosphere. Father, that is our heart's cry. And we desire to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our services, in operation. We thank you for the understanding that has been given. We thank you we continue to grow in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.